with thanks, our gracious Heavenly Father, that your Son came and appeared as your grace in person, teaching us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and to live in this present age lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly while we await that blessed hope and the next epiphany or manifestation of his glory. Father, in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So when it came time for me as the Little League baseball coach to my sons to teach them how to swing the baseball bat, we had a problem. I didn't know how to teach it. Now, when I grew up, you just, in the neighborhood, we just played ball. You just pick up a bat and you swing it. And I managed to play all the way through college. And I just always had the natural swing I had when I was a kid. Nobody messed with it. And I wasn't a great hitter, but, you know, hit well enough to play through college. I was a catcher, so I only needed to hit so well. <laughs> but it was time to teach my kids to swing. And as they started picking up the bat and swinging, I could tell there was nothing natural about their swing. So I got some videos of hitting instruction, and they were great. And then I tried to translate the hitting videos into working with my kids, and I couldn't seem to translate it. Well, the fellow who made the videos was local, so I called him and asked him, could you spend time with my sons? And he said, well, I get this request a lot, and I just don't have enough time. But I have some guys that I've trained, so I'll, I'll recommend one of my guys. Well, the, the gentleman that he recommended just happened to be, his name was Scott Howitt. At the time, he was the, the, the varsity baseball coach of University High School. Uh, now he is the chief communications officer and president of the foundation for Orange County Public Schools. Well, Scott came out. And he worked with my kids for several years to teach them how to swing the bat. And I was shocked to find out where he started. I had been working to try to get all this going with the arms and the hands. But he said, no, the first thing you need to learn is balance. You need to have your feet stable underneath you. Then once we've got that, then you need to learn to control your core and pivot. And not, not shift it, but pivot it. And then you need to throw your hands. So he taught, and I, after he taught my kids, I said, wow, how differently my own life script might have run if I had to learn how to actually hit. <laughs> but maybe I'm where I'm supposed to be, and, and maybe you're where you're supposed to be. At any rate, I found myself realizing, and this hits me every Christmas time, how important it is that God just didn't send a video. He just didn't mail in instructions. But he came and he showed us how to live. And I've been living in the afterglow ever since Christmas of our epistle reading for that day. God's grace appeared. It's the word that we get epiphany from to teach us how to live. And from his baptism to his death, Part of what Jesus is doing is teaching us what it is to live as those who bear our Father's image and know his love. And th this wonderful cameo that we have today. 
And I, I think just like there's this three parts to good hitting, your balance, stable pivoting core, and throwing the hands, it seems to me that there are three things that, that Jesus is teaching here. First, he teaches us to push back against the darkness. Second, he teaches us to pray. And third, he teaches us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. First, Jesus teaching us to push back the night. In the first part of Mark's gospel, the only ones who seem to, to really understand who Jesus is are the demons. They recognize that he is the Holy One of God. And you recall in this passage that he tells the demons that he, that he exercises to be quiet because they know who he is. They know that he is the Holy One of God who's come to make clean and holy and whole again what their overlord had made dirty and profane and broken. Look at the indicators in our few verses. A woman with a fever. Oh my goodness, I lost half of January to this horrible fever. That's like, for those of you who are J.K. Rowling readers, and if you're not, you should be. J.K. Rowling imagines these dementors that attach themselves to your face and just suck your soul out of you and leave you just lying there just like this, this blob of, of despair and discouragement. That's what this flu felt like. It got me. It got, it got Deacon Rose. It got Canon Bales. Right now it's got Adam and Beth. Oh, yeah, Adam and Beth Young. Yeah, we need to remove, add them to the prayers of the people. And it's, I mean, the physical sickness has been horrible, but the spiritual thing has been even worse. Well, back in the day, you get the fever and you just may die. And Jesus has come to bring health to the sick. He comes to, we never learn her name. All we know is that she's the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. Now, if there's a parable of broken relationships, or if there's a metaphor for broken relationships, it's mother-in-law. And we're living in close quarters. Yeah, okay, encourage mothers-in-law all across, all in the room. Some of the most challenging relationships I've heard that people have <laughs> are these parents-in-law thing. And you're living in close quarters. Simon and his brother Andrew live under the same roof with their mother-in-law. The first thing that the devil does, the diabolos, the, the, the one who drives wedges, the first thing that he does in the garden is he drives a wedge between Adam and Eve. They're blaming each other. And so homes that ought to be centers of reconciliation and peace and safety and comfort can become places of strife. Now, we don't know that in this case, but it worked for my sermon, so I picked it up. So Jesus restores a mother-in-law to health, and she simply begins to serve. And her house becomes ground zero for the ministry of hospitality that made the church grow and thrive. In fact, 
You can go to Capernaum today and go into this 1960s vintage, beautiful Roman Catholic church that has a glass floor in the middle. And through that glass floor, you can see the remains of the 5th century basilica shrine that was built over the ruins of what appears to be this house that has graffiti on it, suggesting that in the 1st and 2nd century, this house became one of the first house churches of the church. This house, this act of service, and the, the verb that, that Mark uses here is diakonia, diakoneo, the word we get deacon from. This lady's restoration to health means not only does her home become a place of just regular family love, but becomes, again, ground zero for the church's ministry of hospitality by which it takes over the world. Homes are too often places of estrangement and loneliness or suffocation and abuse, and Jesus comes to push back the night so that homes can be places of refuge and safety and outreach. What we get in our opening verses in Mark is God's very grace walking among us, pushing back disease, resisting division in relationships, freeing people from the control of hostile forces, whether it's fever or the demons that he exercises. And my question for this first lesson for you is, what has the Lord called you to? Joining him and pushing back the night. Some of you in the room have been called to or, or will be called to the medical profession. God bless you. God thank, and I thank you on behalf of the Lord and his people. ORMC was started originally by members of this church at the turn of the 20th century because they cared about people's physical needs. Have you been called, are you being called to ministry? to a ministry of counseling, to a ministry of praying, to a ministry of protecting the innocent and the vulnerable? Are you called to offer words of encouragement to a friend who's been trapped in an abusive relationship? Are you called to get the courage, to come to Jesus to find the courage to get help to overcome an addiction or an obsession, whether it's overeating or overspending, whether it's dwelling in romantic or sexual fantasies or even acting them out, are you being called by him to find the courage to stop using power and authority that God's given you for others and instead using it for yourself? Is he calling you to offer time and treasure to ministries of helps like iDignity or Compassion Corner or Christian Service Center or for the relief of the thousands who are resettling here from Puerto Rico. So first, God's life manifests among us, calls us to join him in pushing back the night. Secondly, God's life manifests, God's life manifests among us teaches us to pray. 
after a day of what has to have been exhausting, draining ministry. And please, in his humanity, baptized as he is and empowered by the Holy Spirit, when Jesus ministers, he feels the power go out of him. We find that when the, when the woman with the flow of blood comes to him and touches him, and he says, who touched me? Because he knows that the power has gone out, of, gone out for him. So at the end of this long day of ministry, at O dark 30, when it's still very dark, he gets up and goes out to pray to his father. And he's praying to his father as the disciples chase him down. They hunt him out. I mean, they have brought everybody who's sick, everybody who's under the control of some hostile internal power, and the text says he healed many of them, but he didn't heal all of them. And so the disciples are looking at a day when there are lots of people that still need a healing. So they're going like, they get up and Jesus is not there, and they're going like, ah, what are we going to do? So they literally, it says, they chase him down. Jesus, there are all these people. Well, something has happened in the middle of the night in his tender moments with the Father when he's, he's speaking to the one who sent him in the first place. And at the same time, if the writer of the Hebrews is right, he has been pouring out his tears in anticipation of the, the horror of where this mission is going to go for the sake so that he can fix the mess in the world and bring a final healing to those who are sick. And he says, no, we're not going back. The Lord wants me to go elsewhere. There, there are intuitions that come to you when and only when you're before your heavenly Father, pouring out your heart and listening to him. And sometimes those decisions are not going to seem logical to everybody else, but they're absolutely it's absolutely essential that you and I put ourselves in that place. We're at the core of our being. We're opening ourselves out to the Lord's presence and his, and his voice. My first boss in ministry made an unusual and, frankly, inconvenient demand, but one that was life-giving. He had a number of uh, junior uh, ministers and ministers in training. He demanded of us that we spend an hour a day with God and that we journal it. It meant pages of writing to God. God, here's my stuff. Lord, I'm here today because I need to process my stuff. And, okay, I realize it's not about getting you on my page. It's about me getting myself on your page. So here goes. Here's where I need wisdom. And it was so, it was such a wonderful experience, although a little scary because every week there was a quiz. And the senior pastor would demand that one of us read one of our journals from the previous week. So you're always on. But over time, I realize, I have come to realize that there are basically three postures that you can have in life. And I don't know that I have the best terms for these, but one of them is what I think of as the excarnate life. It's when your body's here, but you're really somewhere else. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, 
Sherry and I were invited to a dinner with about 10 other friends. And we got there after everybody else was there. And all the other people in our party were sitting at a table, and every one of them was doing this. Nobody was actually at the table. They were somewhere else. And I thought, well, that's just a ridiculous way to live. Until this last spring, I found myself in a destination city that's just beautiful. And instead of looking around and enjoying it, I was doing this. Walking across a very busy street where I really easily could have gotten runned over, run over. And I think I was just quoting an old movie. I was doing this, walking across the street, and I stubbed my toe on the curb on the other side, and it hurt. I could tell it wasn't broken, but I knew that it was going to be a reminder for weeks that I had been a very silly person. And I was so ashamed of myself that I wouldn't tell, I wasn't going to tell anybody else that this, that this had happened. Well, that's the excarnate life, where you, instead of being here, you're someplace else. Your presence is dissipated. A second, a second way that you can be that's not very helpful is to be just so introspective that all you can see is your pain. You're, you're really in touch with your feelings. You're really in touch with your issues. You're really in touch with your despair, but it's just become hopeless because all you got is you. You're down in that little rabbit hole and there's no exit. Well, the third way of being, I think of as being fully incarnate. Me actually being me in front of my heavenly Father, saying, Father, here's my stuff. Would you please deal with it? Because I need to deal with me so that I can, so that I can be with others and be a source of help and strength and comfort to them. It's been so encouraging these last few weeks David DeQuatro is teaching a little course on Wednesday nights on St. Augustine's Confessions. We preach with Augustine aiding our, our, our sermons every week. Augustine, Augustine, he's the one who wrote this at the beginning of his book. You have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And he writes hundreds of pages to God about what he's thinking through, about how the Lord brought him to himself, and about how the Lord is at work in his life. I, I encourage you, whatever form it needs to take, spend the time with the Lord. He came, the second person of the Trinity, to this planet to show us that we need to pray. So... Bear with me for just another minute. He came to teach us to push back the night, came to teach us to pray, and he came to teach us to proclaim the kingdom. The decision he made overnight was that there are people in villages around that had not heard. And so he felt he needed to go and tell them. My guess is that there is somebody in your life that needs you to tell them about him and about his kingdom, and about this whole different way of living and being. You yourself may be one of those who needs to hear the good news. 
over this next week, would you think about one person that you need to tell? And if you don't know what to say, just when you get a chance, Book of Common Prayer, page 362, the opening words of Eucharistic Prayer A. All you got to do is tuck this, these thoughts into your heart. Friend, we believe that there is a holy, gracious Father who in his infinite love made us for himself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, we believe that he in his mercy sent Jesus Christ, his only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross, and in obedience to his Father's will, he offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. And dear friend, I wonder if that doesn't include you. Can we talk? What do you think about that? That's not all that you'd want to say, but that's a great place to start. And it's right there. Just, brothers and sisters, just tuck it away and ask the Lord for the time and place. Peter tells all of us, not just those with collars, to sanctify Christ in our hearts and be ready to offer a reason for the hope that's within us. And Paul encourages us to season our prayers with salt, just looking for the door to open. And when the door opens, all you got to do is walk through and say, I'm so glad you asked. Because we believe that our holy and gracious Father, in his infinite love, he made us for himself. Dot, dot, dot. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.